اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم یا ایوہ الذین آمنوا لا تقدموا بین یدی اللہ ورسولہ واتقوا اللہ ان اللہ سمیع علیم یا ایوہ الذین آمنوا لا ترفعوا اصواتکم فوق صوت النبی ولا تجہروا له وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ أَن تَحْبَطَ عَمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ صدق اللہ العظیم As has been the practice previously in this time after Asr we discussed some ayat of the Quran Sharif, some surah so Surah Al-Hujurat had been discussed some years back. There are some very, very fundamental lessons with regards to day-to-day life. And therefore it's important that this be revived, be kept in mind. So inshallah, whatever is possible, whatever Allah Ta'ala wills, we will try and discuss. Surah Al-Hujurat this is preceded by Surah Al-Fatih and Surah Al-Fatih is preceded by Surah Muhammad and in both those, of those two surahs there are many many ahkam, many aspects that pertain to what we can term as Islahul Alam aspects that pertain to rectification of the Ummah in general And Surah Al-Hujurat is great detail within the Surah about Islahun Nafs, person's own personal rectification. And together with that which is directly related to his immediate self, his immediate surroundings, people around him, Islahul Mu'ashara, the society that is around him, the rectification of the society. So this is an extremely important aspect of life aspect of Mu'ashara Mu'ashara, social life this is a branch of Deen the five departments of Deen categories the Imaniyat and Aqaid is the first which is the foundation of everything without the Iman being correct without the correct belief in Allah Ta'ala whatever fundamentals of deen there is no iman and nothing else will be of any benefit then after iman is the ibadat salah, fasting, zakat, hajj and then is mu'amalat monetary dealings transactions buying, selling, borrowing, lending all the various things of that nature so this too is an extremely important part of deen and then is mu'asharat social life how a person lives with people how he lives as a father to his children as a husband to his wife how does the wife live in terms of being a wife to her husband how does a person live in terms of being a child to his parents 
How does he respect them? How does he treat them? How does a person live with his neighbors? With people in general, people he has to interact with at any level. So all this is part of Mu'asharat. And it's an extremely important part of Deen. This has been discussed on many occasions. That many a times a person, mashallah, is very conscious of his ibadat. And that's obviously important, fundamentally important. But he becomes neglectful sometimes in aspects of mu'amalat, social monetary dealings, and in aspects of mu'asharat, social life, social etiquette. And then thereafter is the other very important aspect of akhlaq. So the akhlaq, good character, which is also a very wide concept in deen, is not just something about saying please and thank you. That is etiquette, this is far greater and deeper than that. So person sometimes is very conscious of his ibadat, alhamdulillah, summa alhamdulillah. But then when it comes to mu'amalat, mu'asharat and akhlaq, then we become very neglectful, we are far behind. And the danger in all this is that a person who is lacking in his mu'amalat, in his mu'asharat, in his akhlaq, and Allah forbid, because of the lack and the shortcomings in these aspects of life, on the day of Qiyamah, all his ibadat will be taken and distributed to others also. Because he would have wronged people in this regard. And therefore we find that those who were conscious of this, to what extent they took care of it. In the life of Rasulullah himself, the numerous, very, very great examples, the Sahaba Ikram, and those who thereafter followed in these footsteps, we find the same care, the same caution in this regard. Hazrat Abdullah bin Mubarak, great muhaddith, great faqih, great mujahid. Subhanallah, Allah Ta'ala blessed him with so much. And person of very high caliber, he had gone to Sham, to Syria, uh, to Maru he had gone to. And... From Maru he had gone to Syria, to Sham, and there he had borrowed one pen to write something. And by chance he forgot to return it. And he travelled all the way back. When he returned only, he realised that this pen is still with me. That pen, on those days there were no fancy pens. It would have been an ordinary reed pen or something of that level, which would have cost in our terms and in our understanding a few rands at the most. But for that few rands, he travelled that journey which was more than a thousand miles to return it. He says, this is more important than spending all this amount in sadaqah. This amount that he would have taken to travel and that journey of that difficulty and hardship of that time is to return this one pen is more important because this will cause tremendous loss in the akhirat if this is not returned. So therefore, this is extremely important that we take note of these aspects and we try to inculcate them in our lives the aspects of mu'amalat, mu'asharat, akhlaq so this surah in particular this has much detail about mu'asharat about social life the surah is titled suratul hujurat hujurat is the plural of hujra hujra means some translators have translated it as apartments in our context, when we hear the word apartment, there's a very specific 
uh, picture comes to her mind. Apartment, something maybe overlooking the sea somewhere. Five star. This, what is translated as an apartment room. Basically the rooms. There is some description of this room. That what was the size of this room? So the rooms and the as described by some translators as apartments, one was that when one entered the rooms of the Azwaja Mutaharat, there was some small little section which was open to the sky. So basically there was some wall we may call it, the nature of the wall we will understand just now. So some wall, but then one section was open. And then was the covered section. So the covered section, what was the, the extent of this covered section? So the width of it is explained as approximately six to seven hand spans. Now this hand spans is how long, how much? So it's approximately five and a half feet. The five and a half feet is just over one and a half meters. Now just over one and a half meters, approximately one and three quarter meters. Now that is the width. And the length, the length was approximately ten hand span. So approximately seven and a half feet, which amounts to about just over two and a half meters. So this one and a half, roughly one and three quarter meter, by just over two and a half meters, just for our understanding, we'll just say three meters. It was less than three meters. Two and a half, just over two and a half, approximately 2.6 odd meters. That's what it amounts to. This is approximate. The exact calculation is not, nobody had a measuring tape in that time, but it was by hand stands that this was measured. So this was the approximate size of the place. And this can be well understood from one hadith sharif as Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when he would be in her house and he would be engaged in tahajjud salah so when he would have to go into sajda then he would very lightly touch her foot and in that half sleep state she would realize that Nabi sallallahu now wants to go into sajda and she would then draw her feet in so that he could perform sajda. So now this would only be the case if that place was so constrained. Otherwise this would not have been the need. But this is very clearly stated in the riwayat that Aisha would have to draw her feet so that Rasulullah could now perform sajda. Now this was the size of that room. And this was generally the size of all the rooms of the of the Azwaja Mutaharat, the noble wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa this is the way that they conducted their lives. One is the simplicity with which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had lived, and then together with that, this is the Kamal of the Azwaja Mutaharat as well, that they lived with this contentment. And even after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa passed away, they continued to live in this manner. So, this is the description of these hujurat. Ata Khurasani rahimahullah 
he says that I had witnessed this, I had seen these rooms. And what was the, how were these rooms constructed? So he says that they were constructed, the walls were jarid in nakhl. The walls were of date palm. So the date palm were all put together close by and it must have been something to just cover the gaps. So that was the wall, date palm. وَعَلَىٰ أَبْوَابِهَا الْمَسُوحِ مِنْ شَعْرٍ أَسْوَدٍ Doors, what doors? Solid doors. The doors were of thick black wool. That was the wall. So, like we understand sack, cloth. So this wool was woven in that manner and that served as the door. And how high was it? A person average height could just stand without his head hitting the roof average height average height person if he would stand then his head would just reach the roof so if a person was a bit above average height then he would not be able to stand straight up this was the house of Rasulullah and this is what he lived in and Atta Khurasani rahimahullah says that I saw this and then this was in the time of Walid bin Abdul Malik, the king of that time, the Khalifa of that time. The need came to now include these rooms into the Masjid al-Nabawi, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The need came to expand the Masjid. So, for the expansion to accommodate the expansion, now this had to be incorporated. So, the instruction came from him that these rooms should now be simply saying removed and this should be incorporated so Atta Khurasani rahimahullah is narrating this and he's saying this message came and this was read out in public that this is now going to be the case that these rooms are going to be in other words demolished now and they are going to be incorporated in the masjid so he says that when this message came around and this news this letter of Walid bin Abdul Malik was now read out. He says, I didn't see any scene with more people crying and weeping than on that day. That this, this, what was the way in which Rasulullah lived, this sign is now going to be effaced. And he says, how I wish they had never done this. How I wish they had never removed it. That somebody later on in time, would grow up from the people of Medina Munawwara, he would be able to witness it, somebody would come from outside, they would come for Umrah, for Ziyara, and they would be able to witness it, and they will be able to see with their own eyes, that how Rasulullah lived, and to what extent he adopted contentment, and with what little provisions he was content, that his aspirations were not for dunya, and likewise the Azwaj Mutahharat, they continued to occupy these rooms. It was only the room of Hazrat Aisha anha and the space surrounding it that then became the place of the burial of Rasulullah and Hazrat Abu Bakr and this too is a very great lesson in this matter that after Hazrat Abu Bakr was also buried there there was still one more space and Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab when he was now in his last moments 
he was stabbed while performing the Fajr Salah by a fire worshipper who came and disguised himself as a Muslim it's a lengthy incident but nevertheless he was then taken home and it became obvious he's not going to survive so he began making some wasiyat and part of what he did at that time was he sent his son Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar that go and request permission from Hazrat Aisha that I want to be buried alongside Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Hazrat Abu Bakr so Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar comes and after having sought permission then he puts forward this request so the Aisha Siddiqah replies that this was something I had reserved for myself after all it was her room and then the people buried in there was her husband Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and her father Abu Bakr so this was something that I had reserved for myself I wanted this honor and this great privilege to be buried alongside them the day I pass away but nevertheless now that Umar has asked for this he has requested it today I will give preference to him over myself this might sound like something very minor but somebody giving away the whole world if they were owning the whole world and they gave it away to somebody to opt to remain living as a pauper that would not have been even one fraction compared to this sacrifice that Hazrat Aisha radiallahu made on this occasion because this is something priceless but because it was Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu that made this request she opted to rather give him preference this sacrifice somebody can sacrifice the whole world he can't compare to this sacrifice this is the lessons to take from these aspects the lesson of this contentment and the lesson of the selflessness the lesson of putting others forward giving preference to others over themselves one is in material things in material things also we find it difficult sometimes to share the excess let alone what is of need to us but things that are not of any basic need it's not something fundamentally important for us to have it's excess, it's something extra that we have that too we find sometimes some reservation some difficulty when a person of need now requires something to share that but the Sahaba Ikram let alone what was needed by them let alone the excess and let alone the material things they needed it was on their sacrifices that ayat of the Quran Sharif came that they stayed hungry to feed the next person one is to give the next person something that is in excess but to remain hungry and feed the next person this was their life and upon these ayat of the Quran Sharif revealed they give preference to others despite their own poverty despite their own hunger and poverty so likewise that was the material things far beyond the material sacrifices this was a sacrifice of a very different level so this is something that only can be done by somebody with a heart that give him preference on the other side Hazrat Umar ibn Khattab after he received this news when Hazrat Abdullah ibn Umar comes back and he informs him that Hazrat Aisha ibn has given permission he became extremely happy and he says this was my greatest concern but then he still says something further he says look after I have passed away after I have passed away and when my janaza is being taken then stop outside first 
and again ask for permission once more. Perhaps merely out of being awed, overawed maybe, or she just felt obliged, or maybe out of some embarrassment, that now if I'm going to refuse, what will be the, how it will be seen. Perhaps she might uh, have done this out of just some consideration in that regard. So don't just go in again. First, once more take permission. Because I don't want to make this an imposition. So you first ask for permission once more before going and burying me there. Subhanallah. This is also part of this Mu'asharat. Many a times we just do things in a way that imposes on others. And there's no consideration that is this person really managing this? Is it something that the person is really happy about? Is just something imposed on people? Whereas all this is part of fundamental etiquette. It's part of Mu'asharat, social life. That a person should not become a means of taklif to anybody. A means of difficulty and hardship to anybody. So Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala he also asked for this to be done. That before I am buried, and at that time, don't say Amirul Mu'mineen is asking for permission. Because I am no more going to be the Amirul Mu'mineen. Once my life is gone, I will no more be the Amirul Mu'mineen. So don't use the word Amirul Mu'mineen. Say Umar ibn Khattab is asking. It is his request, or it's the request of Umar ibn Khattab, that he be buried here. Can, is, he, is the permission granted? Can he be buried? This is the extent to which they were conscious of all these various angles to one matter. The angle of even that when my life is gone, I am nobody. Whereas they were very great people. But out of the intizam to maintain a system, I have been given a title of Amirul Mu'mineen, actually a responsibility. So now while I am taking care of this responsibility, people are going to address me accordingly. So to maintain the intizam, to maintain the system and to run the affairs of the Muslims, the system is necessary. Otherwise if somebody says Amirul Mu'mineen and the person that time says, no I'm not the Amirul Mu'mineen. So they say, well maybe somebody else, then we need to go and sort out the matter with somebody else. He has to assume that responsibility. But now when I am gone from dunya, then leave the title aside. Now this was that extent that these titles didn't mean anything to them. These titles were nearly out of the responsibility that they adopted it, or they, they allowed it rather. But even in that time when he is now departing from dunya, he is conscious of all these aspects. That when I am gone, I am no more Amirul Mu'mineen. So you take my name only and say Umar ibn Khattab's request that he be buried here. Subhanallah, so many things to learn out of one incident of the Sahaba Ikram. In living they gave lessons, and having passed on, they gave lessons also. So these are the lessons. This is all out of this, merely the name of the surah, because these hujurat, these uh, rooms are mentioned in the surah itself. So therefore, this is the title of the surah or the name of the surah that has been named with the name of hujurat, the rooms of Rasulullah's, the azwaj mutahharat. Then. The surah commences, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadillahi wa rasulihi wa attaqullah, inna Allah has sami'un alim. Allah Ta'ala addresses the believers, O you who believe, don't advance before Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In other words, you should await your turn. Don't jump the gun. You wait your turn and fear Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala Inna Allah has Sami'un Alim. Verily Allah Ta'ala is all hearing and all knowing. 
Inshallah we will discuss the background to the revelation of this surah and ayat and some other details tomorrow Inshallah Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq Subhanallah